This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game, and we have got an electric episode for you today with Mr. Andy Matheson from Glovebox and my good friend Jerry Conry from the great state of California and Conry Insurance. Are you Conry Insurance or Conry Insurance Brokers? Conry Insurance Brokers and Risk Managers. There we go. I knew it was at least brokers, so I was on the right track. Yeah. I'm going to set the table for this because I'm kind of a, I don't want to say an innocent bystander because that would, um, that would insinuate that there's like beef here and there's not lively discussion on LinkedIn on a post over agencies and how they're classified and how they're run. And Jerry reached out to me and said, look, I really think this would be a good topic for a podcast. And you know, I'm the kind of guy that if somebody thinks there's a good topic for a podcast, I'm not going to wait for them to call one of my fellow podcasters and offer them the opportunity. So well, just here we are. That, just to add to that, Andy also offered to put it on his podcast. But I said, if we're going to have a debate, it has to be through. A- there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's right. There needs to be a mediator. <laughs> I will be. I will be as neutral as I can humanly be. So I'm certain. I'm certain that I I know this is going to come a shock. Come as a shock to everybody. I may have my own opinion on some of what you guys are talking about. Can't wait. Can't wait. You you better speak up. I love it. The whole idea here is is it's not that there's a, a right or wrong answer. It's that opinion is opinion, and it's it's important to make sure that whether it's the words that are expressed, it's the why behind the words, and it. There may be a lot that Anthony has to share that I'm going to agree with. It's just the way he said it, I had some disagreement with, and it started a little bit of our own little bit of, I don't know, there was 50 or 60 people who commented and stuff. So it, it had a little bit of uh, uh, energy, and I thought this would be a good debate. So let's talk about it. Yeah, why don't you set the table, Andy? You're the one who was the original. I'm pointing fingers already, <laughs> but you, it was your post, right? I mean, right. as you typically do, you you throw stuff out there to get people engaged in conversation. Yeah, that's what happened. But just to sort of lay out what the topic was that that uh, sort of took off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the past couple of months, I've been uh, trying this new theme where every Tuesday I have kind of this hot take Tuesday. I typically come up with a topic that I feel like could have some 
uh, legs to it, or just kind of some uh, uh, some you know, kind of some weight on each side of the on the table here. So uh, for this particular conversation in this episode, it was uh, all revolving around uh, what type of insurance agency are you? Um, I talk to hundreds of agencies a year. Um, I owned one myself alongside my brother and my dad, dating back. Um, gosh, three years ago, uh, I did that for eight years. Um, so I have, uh, I've been in the trenches, understand kind of what our organization, how we operated, and then kind of the understanding of where, where other agencies fall. Uh, but the, the premise of the uh, LinkedIn post was uh, there are two types of insurance agencies. There are sales organizations, um, and then there are service organizations. And it's truly um, honing in on the actual mentality um, stemming from the top down of how that organization is run. A sales organization, in my opinion, is a uh, focus on things like lead generation, monthly premium goals, uh, departmentalization, um, opportunities to scale, whether that's through organic or acquisition. Um, and then the service type of organization, in my opinion, is putting focus on individual client relationships. It's uh, requiring insurance agents to do both sales and service, um, offering really many lines of business and not just narrowed on kind of one, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, and then putting its money into staff um, and time into staff versus um, really just that growth category. So we can kind of dive in however you guys would like. Yeah, real quick, um, wanted to have both of you so that so that the people listening to this can understand perspective, just describe sort of the demographic of your agencies, because I can tell you, knowing both of you, that we're talking Apples and Volvos. From what you guys did with your agency, Andy, to what Jerry does in his, and being completely transparent, I probably fall right in the middle. So I'm yeah. interested in hearing, um, you know, just for everybody's edification, talk to them about you know, sort of size, shape, all of that, how quickly you grew and all of those things. I think that's all germane to the conversation. And then I want, I would like for Jerry to do the same and then let's have at it. Let's talk about what, what our thoughts are around the topic. Yeah, that's completely fair. I'm glad you actually asked that because it sets the tone for kind of where we fall on that uh, perspective. Um, my agency, which I no longer own, we sold in 2019, uh, but we were a pretty large agency of a uh, hundred million in premium. We grew to that size. Um, we were 98% personalized. So obviously that's a very specific and um, you know niche uh, line of business. Uh, we honed in on the standard market. We were looking for you know, your, your, your Joe Schmoes with homes and cars, right? So we didn't want the non-standard autos. We didn't want the monoline homes. Uh, we're looking for package business and it's, that's how we operated. Uh, we were very departmentalized. We had our salespeople sell, our service people service, and our marketing people lead gen. Um, and so that was what worked well for us. I think um, that's why the mentality of kind of the sales-led organization, that mentality is kind of where I fall on that side. I get it. And if I understand it correctly, you um, your father had an agency and then you and your brother um, became involved. And maybe you might tell everybody the size it was then and the size it ended up at the time you left. Completely fair. 2012 was when I jumped in. My brother Ryan jumped in in 2011, and we both were about uh, around the six, seven million dollar premium book size when we jumped in. So it scaled pretty quickly by the time we evolved our operations to be more uh, growth heavy. So, so you brought you, the two of you brought marketing and new ideas on how to go and create new business opportunities. Would yeah, you agree? 
Yeah, I'd say lead gen was a big core strategy for us. And then making sure that salespeople don't service. And that was really our operation. And, it, it, and honestly, it was more so on how do you get good business for the long term? Obviously, we want to retain clients. Uh, and then so that revolving door didn't become an, an issue. So that's kind of where we fell. So um, my agency, I'll just kind of tell you the history of it. Um, it started three, two principals back, back in 1969. Um, oh, I didn't I know that. It, I just, I actually just learned something. It, I bought it in 2002 when its revenue was about 700K and it had about 4 million of premium. Okay. And uh, at the time um, I was transitioning from being a district manager at Farmers Insurance. Um, prior to that, I was a pretty... A heavy hitter as a as an agent um, at Farmers, and um, I did five years of of district management, and and just actually got fired. And why? Well, because I'm too independent, and you can't tell me what to do, um, especially when I know I'm right. And that's the problem is that I'm too principled. Um, bought the agency in '02. Uh, it had all the right appointments. It just didn't have all the right people and all the right processes. Um, we brought the right people and process together. Uh, 2022, 20 years later, the agency is just shy of 20 million in premium. Um, it's doing just at 3 million in revenue. Um, we employ 16 people um, and uh, it is 67% uh, commercial and 33% personal lines. And even when it comes to benefits, we divide them between personal and commercial, depending on who's the name insured. But if I was to break it up into the three, the benefits and um, financial services would be about six to seven percent. And that's all on revenue basis, not premium. I don't measure premium at all. I tell people all the time, you can't pay payroll with premium. I mean, you can, but you sure you're going to get in some trouble for it. But Right. Agreed. So we are a um, probably a more traditional based agency. Um, and so when you had put out your article, you had said you're either sales or service. And I had said, well, I disagree. Um, and again, it's, it's, it, you know, listening to you, I don't disagree with a damn thing you said when you qualify what you're saying here on this conversation, which I knew what's going to happen when we got on this, in this, but I think it's important. That's because, because you have an exceptional moderator, Jerry, who made sure that those bases were covered. <laughs> That's the reason. That's the reason. <laughs> Thank God for that. You know, I, I mean, what I love about this, let me let me say two things. I want to just comment. All right. I, I've been around a long time. I'm 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 in my silver years now. Right. The more is behind me than is in front of me. So as I start to look at the, you know, the last few legs of my career, I, I'm getting to the point now where I'm starting to share, share ideas, share concepts, share why I do things the way I do them. And once in a while, I'll call out people and say, hey, I think you're thinking about this the wrong way. I don't do it to put them down. I do, them to, I do it to build them up because I actually care. I care about this industry just like both of you do. I listened to what you had to say at BrainShare. I've listened to David and David and I have cajoled each other for the last two years. I love the guy. Um, I'll never be David. I can't. I'm not as flamboyant or, um, uh, uh, you know, I just and I don't have the creativity he does. I just, I'm a, I'm a grinder, you know, but the reality is, is that this, this business requires both sales and service, but I take, but I note this, those people who think they differentiate through service need to understand that, that service is like air in the room. No one takes a deep breath in a room and says, oh, the air is awesome. They just die when it lacks. 
And it and agencies that don't provide proper service will just die on the vine if they don't provide the proper service. So when they try to compare themselves to people who provide good service, all they're doing is getting a checkbox. There is no plus or minus. It's a pass or fail. And anybody who thinks there's an A through F in service is absolutely wrong. If you set your client up, the best brands in the business are people who actually do what they say they will. You have to be a promise keeper, not just a promise maker. And the, and the, pro, and the process of service is the keeping of promises that were made at the time of the sale, when the relationship was began. And so that was what I was trying to say in my communication to you, Andy. Um, and when I saw the, it going back and forth and I saw others chiming in, I thought, hey, there's something here. Yeah. Let's talk about this deeper and let's get let's get more into this. But um, I think that truly there's not two sides to this. I just think it's nuanced and it needed to be discussed. Um, one maybe opportunity to kind of take this discussion to this uh, next step might be this. When I'm talking to agencies and I'm understanding how they operate in um, a general level, I kind of pick up on buzzwords. And some things that I kind of understand are some agencies claim to be sales organizations, but then I find out that they don't operate like that. They don't track leads. Why? They don't have sales goals. Are you kidding me? Uh, they, they, they don't build. have a CRM. There's so much there. Yeah, I mean, they build a culture of wanting to talk to every client. That can't be culture. Otherwise, you can't grow. You can't talk. If you have a, a $10 million book, for example, and I keep going back to premium, sorry, guys, um, you're getting too big to talk to every client. You can't grow at that point. You're stabilizing at that point. Stabilizing is different from retention. Growth is different from retention. You need to, in order to grow, you have to retain, obviously but you have to make sales to keep that growth. So I'm saying as a mentality, as a culture, as what we do to run an agency, our focus is on growing an agency for, on a sales aspect and making sure that they don't walk out the door, but that's just a part of having a service team and making sure your process and operations work well. The mentality at the company is not that we just take care of every client and make sure they're serviced properly. That's, that's a given, that shouldn't even be in question. The sales organization makes sure you do everything in the model to grow. And that's what I was getting at. So there's two types of mentalities. And that's kind of hopefully where we can take the convo. Yeah. No, I mean, I've said it multiple times on the podcast, you know, until we actually sell an insurance product that requires us to do some level of, of administration and service work to that insurance product, we should be a sales organization because Otherwise, there's nothing to service, right? Yeah. And so, I think it dials down too into how you have your how you have your operations set up. Obviously, I think that I think you can have a service intensive sales culture if there's such a thing. And here's what I mean by that: I mean that if you have a sales culture, everybody in your operation is invested in the growth of the business. So your service people know that their role to grow business is to service the living daylights out of what they're servicing so that you're not losing it and the producers are just building on a base that's not eroding out from underneath you because you're not servicing your accounts and you lose them. So I think that you can have a service department or a service team in your agency that is growth-minded, but they understand in order for the agency to grow, they have to be service-minded first to take care of people because that's their role in the growth organization. That's how we run, period. 
Yeah, and I look at that too. It's like if I'm a, if I'm a CSR, just as an example, and I'm on talking to John Smith, and John came to me for X, but I end up taking care of that situation, that X, and then I turn over to Y because I'm looking at cross sell. Well, that's that mentality, right? So now I'm looking at the sales because these service people can be salespeople too, and so now I'm adding to that you know account. I, I want to have the the auto and the home and the pet and all that stuff. Maybe it started with just in home and auto, and I added the umbrella and that pet after. So that's a growth model. That's a growth mentality. And that's kind of the core. Well, I got the- one of the best compliments that I ever got when I ran my grocery stores. And I was young. I didn't do it intentionally. It was an accident, but it's something that I never forgot. And it happened when the retail operations superintendent, who was the head honcho over 300 and some stores, came in and he asked my bag boy, one of my bag boys, hey, what's the, what's the store sales goal for next week? And the kid knew it right? The bag boy, the high school bag boy knew what the goal was for the store. I don't think agencies are any different. I don't think that your service people need to sell, but I think they need to know what the goal is. I think they need to know where we're at in relationship to that. And I think they need to be invested in the process. Very well said. Yep. I don't disagree with any of the comments that have been made so far, but I want to add to them. I think that there are different models of agencies, right? So there are those agencies that are product specific, those agencies that market to, I don't know, special interest groups, okay? Then there's generalist agencies, okay? I would consider myself a generalist agency um, in that we have both personal and commercial and that we don't deep dive deeply in any one vertical, okay? Um, we're, we're limited by who we know and who we're introduced to. You know, the big difference in my operation um, and others I'm not going to compare. I don't have a hundred million in premium. I wouldn't even know how to manage a hundred million <laughs> premium agency. It, it's not anything that I have any interest in doing. Um, you know, maybe with no, more partners and 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 more people to divide the pie up and divide the responsibilities up. I, I would love to see those kinds of numbers. But the reality is, is that you know I'm on a 11, 12 percent growth rate a year, year over year. I have a 94 to 96 percent retention rate. Okay. And what does it take to do that? It takes a sales mentality. It takes a service mentality. It takes bringing education to the table. It brings differentiating yourself by not just doing it the way everybody else does. We are not a peddling agency. Most high growth agencies are peddling agencies. They peddle insurance. And what they do is they grow PIF, policies, revenue. That's their measures. And they measure in different ways. Some are units. Policies are everything to a carrier because PIF is what gets them their payroll. That's how that works. But in the world of of agencies, it should all be based on revenue. Because if you sell a product that makes 22% commission versus a product that makes eight, you got to sell three times the product on the eight to equal the 22%. And so the sales number doesn't matter anymore. The premium number doesn't matter anymore. But when you have an EBITDA of 36% like I do, you are bringing money home at the end of the day. You have made an income and a career. And the thing that bothers me about a lot of the high growth agencies out there, and don't, I'm not picking on anyone, all right? But this, we are not in the business to make lead generation companies successful. We're in the business of selling insurance. But if 40% of our revenue is going towards the creation of the next opportunity for a sale, I don't get it. Not unless you were looking to build a business that you're just trying to sell off, okay? Then it might make sense because you're, you're, you're trading operating profit 
for enterprise growth value, okay? And I get that, if that's your game plan. And for younger people, I maybe, if my if I was in my 30s, I might be looking at how I could sell this in five years and move on to my next thing, because that seems to be what everybody was taught in college. But when I was taught in college, it was all about building a brand and building a, um, um, a process and having people recognize you. And let me, just ask me, ask me, what percent of my revenue is spent on marketing? Hey, Jerry, what I'm gonna percent guess. of my revenue is spent on marketing? I'm going to guess. Hold on, let me Less guess. Let me guess. I'm going to guess that it's probably, it's not more than 2%. It may not even be more it's than not. 1%, but it, it okay. So that, there you go. Yep. We spend between thirty and forty thousand dollars a year on marketing. Okay, and that marketing expenses includes everything, including website development, management of that, all of that stuff. Why? Because four out of five clients of this agency are referral based. Four out of five. So when you change your model to a model in which you're not relying on leads and quoting in order to grow, but relying on referrals from customers to grow. Your whole mentality and style changes. And so when your article came out, I took, I took, offense is not the right word. I, I paused and challenged you it. You took exception. Because I thought, you took exception to it. Exception. Thank you. And I needed to get, make sure that, that at least this side of the table was being considered because I'm going to tell you, the majority of agencies out there look like mine, not like yours. The majority of the agencies out there are generalist agencies that sell whatever insurance product the client needs. Now for us, we're more selective about the clients we choose. We actually turn away business. That's where we're at now. If they don't wanna follow our model, they, won't, they don't wanna allow us to use data analytics and risk management to differentiate, to add value to their business, to help reduce their expenses, and then use that methodology to prove that we're bringing the best value to the table, and they're not willing to give us the financial data we need and engage us in the way that we want, we don't take the business. Even if it was handed to us, we don't take it. So let me ask you a question. And, and this may strike you as weird for me to ask you this, but it'll make sense when I give you the follow-up. Who taught you how to be an agency principal? No one. Okay. And I would agree with that. That's not actually not the answer I expected you to give me. I thought maybe you had gotten some level of training from farmers or maybe you learned to focus more on profitability as a DM or whatever else. But in fairness, you're, none of your, all your assumptions were right. But the reason why I said the words the way I did was because I don't consider farmers agencies really the business ownership that they pretend to be. And it's the reason why I'm not there anymore. The Allstate agent, the farmer's agent, the State Farm agent, too much of that brand tells them how to operate. The only time they're independent is when they're turning in a tax return. It's the only time. Or when they want to claim that they're being treated like an employee, but they're actually not employees. To me, when I became an independent agent, I went from having a PhD in farmers to having barely a bachelor's degree in mm. insurance. Because I went from going to having one solution for all problems to having multiple solutions for every problem. And I had to learn how to deal in an environment in which I had multiple solutions, multiple choices, and then how to bubble sort and find the best solution for the client. Most producers today, and I didn't pick on principles this time, it's producers this time. They default to the lowest price. They don't know how to argue for better value taking the quotient of cost over benefit, they got to figure this out. 
And if they aren't, they're going to get beat by the artificial intelligence that's being built right now that, you know, I'm a little worried about, David. You know, we go to meetings and people talk about us sharing data. I'm never going to do that. It's never going to happen because I believe that all you're doing is basically creating a way for people to eliminate you. We bring so much value to the insurance process that it's in, it's not calculable. And every moment in time, carriers are trying to figure out how to get rid of us because we're the 15% difference. So here- and what, what I'm worried about with machine technology coming into our space, I want to use it and use it and be, have it driven by a professional like doctors today that use technology to help them diagnose and prevent from writing the wrong prescriptions and all that stuff. We need to use the, the technology that way. But to think that they can eliminate us, that worries me a lot because the more and more agencies that commoditize this business and peddle insurance instead of create the relationship that needs to be had between the, the insured and the agency and then the market, if that doesn't happen, then we're not serving the purpose we're paid for and we're going to end up as dinosaurs. So here's, I've got a couple of comments and I'm sure Andy does too. Number one, for everybody who's ready to quit the insurance industry after hearing that Jerry has a 36% EBITDA, don't because his EBITDA ranking in the insurance industry is even less of a percentage than what his ad spend is. Like that's that's a fraction of a percent of the agencies that are going to achieve that. But my question to you is why? Why do you achieve that? What is your motivation to focus on EBITDA and maximizing that number? Well, the MBA and me can't help it, okay? I mean, I went and got an education. I learned how to read financials, and I learned how to apply um, KPIs and analytics to running my own business. And then I flipped that into um, how to sell insurance to others and how to incorporate all of that into the sales process because there's nothing like education that differentiates people, nothing. And so if I and five others can go to the same markets, how is it that I get different results nearly every time? And I believe, as you know, David, because you're in the same space I am, you're just on the other side of the country. We don't run into each other very often. But the reality is, is that you know how to talk to the to the developer of premium. You know how to talk to the underwriter. You know how to how to how, how to narrate and, and, and set up um, an aspect of why they might want to bite on and, and, and apply rate or reduction of rate um, as compared to hazard when it comes to the development of that premium. And if you don't know how to narrate, if, you, if all you know how to do is to fill out an application, and let me tell you something, if you know how to fill out an application, you're in the top 15% <laughs> of agencies, right? Because 85% don't well, know agreed. how. They still miss things, they leave things. That's why there's all these underwriters that have to go back and forth. But for us, an application is just one small component of the, t- the total submission. And the narration is the big part. I learned early on, and so did you, David, and I'm going to say it so that it needs to be said. There are two sales in this business. You have to sell to the customer, but you must sell the risk to the risk taker. And if you don't know how to do that, you are missing half the sale in every transaction. So here's my comment. I asked the question the wrong way, which is why I'm not a lawyer. I apparently did not lead the witness appropriately. 
<laughs> what I really wanted you to talk about and where I was trying to get you to go was why you have your agency, why you have the business and what it's provided you. Because I think that you gave a very passionate um, monologue, so to speak, at Brainshare about the lifestyle that you've been given and the opportunities that you've been afforded. And I was hoping what you were going to say is, well, because I like to have nice things, take trips and live the producer lifestyle. That's why I want to maximize my profitability so I can do more of that. And I think honestly, honestly, in, in my point is this, I, I operate in like big strokes, right? I'll be on something for three or four weeks and then I'll be off of it for a while. And I may come back around to it. I may not. But I think one of the things that we don't do a good job of indoctrinating new talent to in our in our industry is the producer lifestyle okay and what i mean by that is from here's 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 the producer lifestyle you're starting and here it is 10 you know th- two years three years 10 years in so that they can see what that is i think too many people see what jerry has and they think they're going to come be a producer in two years in they're going to be able to go to greece for three weeks they're going to be able to live in a nice home they're going to have nice cars. They're going to have real estate investments and all of the other stuff that successful agents that have been doing it for decades have. It's no different than the principle of kids that, that, that are raised in the in this generation or even in my generation tried to achieve what their, took their parents 50 years to achieve in 25 or 30. In some cases, you may right. be able to get small bites of that. But you're not going to replicate 50 years worth of work in 25. You're just not going to do it because why? You might have technology. You may have grit and drive. But what you lack is the wisdom and experience that's gained over that time that helps you make the right decisions. Now, you may have parents that you've got a really great relationship with, and they're going to tell you all the stupid mistakes they made so that you don't make them and you have the opportunity to flatten that curve. But guess what? You're going to find new stupid mistakes to make that they didn't. And it's still going to take time. But I think that everybody sees all of the drippings that you can get and all the money that can be made, and they want to jump in, but they expect it to happen right away, number one. And number two, they don't understand. One of the very first things you said when we got on the call, you have to be a grinder period. I don't care if you're using technology. I don't care if you're cold calling door to door or hitting the phones or all of the above. You have to grind on whatever segment you're you're focusing on. And honestly, you need to do it collectively in order to be the most successful. But I think, you know, I, I wanted you to talk about that for a second because I think it's really powerful for our audience to hear about because they don't understand that. Understand. They don't get that. Well, first of all, I wasn't at that EBITDA just two years ago. I started paying more attention to it, okay? My income has always outpaced my need at home because I'm married to a physician, for God's sakes. I start my, I already start in the highest tax bracket when I make dollar one because I'm married to somebody that already makes a a solid living. So part of the reason why um, we have what we have is because A, we don't have kids. We both married each other late and and we brought a lot to the table um, um, before that. But why is the insurance career so great and why do I talk about it so often and share it with people? And I talk to my 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 friends and family and they no one ever considers insurance. And I, I wanted to be one since I was 15 years old. It's crazy. Why? Because the guy at State Farm over where I was riding my bike and, and skateboard drove the most bitchin' Cadillac Eldorado, right? The most beautiful car I've ever seen. Okay, and I asked him what he did, 
And he said he was a state farm agent. And I said, what's that? And he explained it to me. And what he shared was the power of residual income. And I, you know, I love my little um, power podcast t-shirt that you sent me, Dave, because it has my, it has my car on it, which I'm very passionate about. I love my car, but my license plate says renewals. That's my license plate. I, and I've had it since forever because I recognize in this business that you have to, you have to build and maintain, build and maintain. If I only focused on sales, too much would be going out the back Not door. Not necessarily, Dave. And at some point in time. Because it's the type of client, it's appetite. Okay. It's what you're looking for. It's you set the right parameters. It's like you you onboard them appropriately. I, I totally interrupted you. <laughs> give me, no, give, give, well, this might keep help. going because I'm, I don't disagree. Dead, but I don't know well, where we might, conflict. This might so help. Keep going. Guys, when I walked into this industry, I was actually not interested in insurance. I was interested in entrepreneurship. I walked into this business knowing that it has a great business model. I'm not passionate about insurance, or at least I wasn't when I walked in. That doesn't mean when I walked out of the agency, I wasn't passionate about insurance. But when I when I started in the career of insurance, I was all about running a business model that's successful, that allows me to grow and, and live a lifestyle that I want to live. Now, I think that could be the case for my generation and below because insurance isn't sexy. And um, I'm in my 30s, so that might help you give some perspective kind of where I fall. But I think one thing is when we were hiring and building a team, that was just ingrained in people. If you want this lifestyle, if you want to uh, be successful in this organization, your focus is on these operations and these operations lead to sales and these sales lead to growth and these growth leads to income. So that was our mentality and that's kind of where I'm coming from in this perspective and that's why this ended up working out for our organization and I've just noticed in talking to other agencies that the ones that have the operations in place that focus on sales are the ones that I can relate to and the ones I see as currently being the one, like the successful growth models. And that's really all this comes down to is growth or stability. Okay. So when David asked me the question, the simplest answer that I could give is that I am the person who's an insurance geek. Okay. I love the elegance of insurance, of protection, how you can interweave risk management with that and all of the disciplines that come from managing risk. Um, and I was always an insurance agent and then I became a broker and then I put on the hat of risk management because I started to realize that there was more to just peddling cover. And then I started to pass down to my account management team and to my other producers, I started to pass down responsibilities. I started to share the responsibility. We ran this agency up until about five years ago, we ran this agency completely centered around me, like as if it was a doctor's office. I did it on purpose because I branded it Conry, right? So everything was about me. Well, now I won't even look at half the stuff I wrote five years ago because there are others in my organization that are just as qualified to do it and it doesn't need my expertise. So I built a model that has varying layers of expertise and then processes that they follow. And then every time I hire somebody, I figure I'm adding I'm taking 40 hours of work away from me and adding them to you. But I still want you to do it the Conry way. And this is what the Conry way looks like. And so I sit next to them and I start to grow them. And they might come in with 20 years of experience. And I have to take that Etch-A-Sketch and shake it and get and blank it out. Andy, what an Etch-A-Sketch is, is it's so a toy that kids used to play with decades ago. I'm just kidding. He might not even know what it is, Jerry. <laughs> 
I've seen I, Toy Story. I'm, just, it's I'm on sorry. Toy Story. It's on Toy Story. Oh my God. It's so true. But she, okay. I have to hit the reset. Button. There you go. Is that, does I that, like the that extra work? sketch, okay. but All right. you know. Hey, Jerry, yeah. do, you, do your producers, and gosh, I'm so, such a personalized guy. Sorry about that. But like, sure. do, your, do your producers service as well? No. Good, good, good answer. Uh, I so I just I talk to the agencies that require their their uh, producers to service as well, and that's so limiting to me. I can't focus on what I, I do best. I didn't, I didn't come into this business to service insurance policies. I just didn't. Um, I came in here to uh, pick up the phones and start dialing and talk to people about what I can help them with. And, and okay, but let me be clear on something. Okay, they they they're teamed with account management. All right, so there's a team approach. Um, every producer has an account manager or two, or in my case, four. But the bottom line is, is that these people are associated with the producer and they build a team approach to how things are done. Now, the producer might take a call in from the client because he has the, he or she has the deepest relationship with the client. But it's who does the work and how the work is done. That's all handled by the account manager. But understand at Connery Insurance Brokers, every employee who has a license is expected to contribute to sales. And they contribute to, to sales through the growth of hazard um, and the growth of exposure and the need to add protection as the client's risk continues to grow. And so our whole strategy is about reevaluating risk annually and recognizing where the deltas are at and adding value through that and they get credit for that sale not the producer and you what do you get from adding value you get revenue and so you're a growth model and so you're focused on sales it's kind of this concept we're going in circles on that concept i'm, well, I'm truly trying to point out that i know many agencies that just say i don't put goals in front of my team i don't care how many leads they generate or how much how much they bring in i just want to talk to every client and make sure they're in good shape and that is just not how I ran an organization. I just didn't want, I, I, I want to take care of the client. That's a, that's a given. So let's just, that's, that's also culture, but so it's not like to, I can't talk to every client because yeah. I'm trying to grow my business. <laughs> and I, by the way, they don't want to talk to you. They only want to talk to you if it's something very important. So. Well, and the flip of my problem is, is that over the years, because people always talk to me now, they don't want to talk to the other person. They only want to talk to me and it, it drags me down. And it prevents me from growing the very point you're making. How do I solve that problem? I solve it by making it clear that I'm not going to be the person who solves the problem. Cool. Okay? Onboarding. Onboarding. It, yeah. It's all about the way you onboard the client. And then it's also about what you do after the client comes on board. So when the client is on board, they've been with you for eight months and now they reach out to you to do a service request or something. Okay. And then they keep going around the service person to get to you. The key is for you not to solve the problem. Of course. The key is for you to give it back to the person that they keep going around so that they could gain confidence in that person. That's perfect. I like that you said that. We trained that way as well. Yeah. And actually, we didn't give out personal numbers because I don't want them calling me. I want them to go to the service team. But it's okay if they feel like, hey, I didn't build a relationship with this person. Hey, just so you know, client, you're in great shape with my service team. That's why they're there. Okay. I, you can call me to have fun and chat about going out for a beer or something, but I'm not going to be talking to you about your coverages or, or your, your changes. Well, nine times out of ten, I'm we're out of the office. It. And unless you have an elephant's memory like I do most of the time. You know, you're not going to remember what you bound for them. You're not going to remember every single endorsement and exclusion. I mean, you will within reason, but we're not equipped on the road to enter into an agency management system and review coverage. It's ludicrous for anybody to even think that. But again, your client doesn't know the difference. 
Why? Because agencies do not educate their clients on how to do business with them. That's why when you come into our agency, the first thing that happens is you get enrolled into a drip campaign that spreads over two weeks that says, this is how you do business with Florida Risk Partners. This is why they get a customized package in the mail, just like we send to our podcast guests with a full color magazine that says, these are the partner pair perks. This is how you do business with Florida Risk Partners. There's no excuse for any of our clients to not to not know how to do business with us unless they simply don't try to consume the information that we give. We get frustrated with people and I'm bad about this. Somebody will call me and ask, you know, we just think it's a stupid question or why do you think I'm the person to do this? Then you have to step back and take a deep breath and say, because I never told you there was somebody else. I never told you that there was the best person. So when with me, it's it's really tough because it was me. Like, I was the guy, period. I didn't have any service people. It was me in my dining room when I started out. So my legacy accounts know me as the guy. I'm the one they're going to call. I've had to learn how to pivot and say, listen, I know you're used to doing this, but I want you to understand, it's not that I don't want to help you. I just want to give you the best person possible to help you. And that's not me. Here's who you need to talk to. I'll do this for you. If if you're hell-bent on me servicing your account, I can do it. I'll be back in the office at 5.45 p.m. tonight. You need a certificate, and it's 9.30 in the morning. Here's who the best person is to meet your needs. Yep. Perfect. I feel like one thing that we're talking about, but we're not really actually saying it, is just the actual operations and processes that you put in place as an agency to make sure that you're going to be able to operate the way you need and the way you need to grow. And then I think from there, it it dictates the rest of the culture, right? Um, So maybe it's the conversation around operations that we should be having um, because- I think is is that culture is people, okay? Period. Who your people are is your culture and how they communicate and how they work together and how they work within processes is what defines what your culture is. You want a better culture, get better people. Um, and if you if you really start to measure culture the right way, and that's through others, right? You can't ask because they won't tell you, but they'll tell a third party, and then the third party can tell you. But you're always going to see the people dragging down um, a culture score are the very same people that a year from now won't be working for you. And why? Because they're working their way out of your organization because they either can't keep up with your style and process, or they just don't want to. Not necessarily can't, just don't want to. Both of them are fine as long as it's not done here. And you have to be strong enough as an owner to either hand off the management like I did. Like, I, David, I have the lifestyle I have because I have a general manager that I pay significant amounts of money to who handles all this day-to-day stuff that I just don't want to anymore. All right? Could I have more money in my pocket if I didn't have that person? Yes. Do I need that money? No. Why? Because my lifestyle is that I get to go home at four o'clock in the day and roll in at nine o'clock in the morning and work four days a week because that's what I do. And my clients, I just had one complaint. You've been on four weeks vacation this year and and we've needed you. And I said, okay, what's the complaint? Well, we need you. I said, I understand that. Are you saying that I, I'm not capable of going on vacation? Because if that's the case, you need to find somebody else. I, I am not in this business to, to be a slave to it like the poor don't. Think of the little donut shop owner. That poor guy gets up at two in the morning to start making dough, 
putting in, um, putting it in the fryer, creating the, the, the stuff, working all day, goes home, goes to bed at six at night, wakes up at one in the morning and starts the whole damn process again. What kind of life is that? That's not who Jerry Connery is. Jerry Connery said, this is the lifestyle I want to live. Now, build the agency that's going to generate the revenue that's going to do it. And that's why my model looks the way that it does. I don't know how to say it more simply than that, Dave. That's why my model looks the way no, that I it mean, does. No, I mean, I think it's, it's important you for you to point out, your, though, right? Your age, right? You're, you're, you're silver hair now. That's fine. I'm no, 59. That's, that's fine, right? I'm 59. You, you've earned that. You've put your time yeah. in. If you're 23 people, get that's out right. and dial more numbers. You don't need to be looking at a four-day work week. You need a six-day work half week. Day, half days, 7 to 7, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., half days. I made $100,000 income for the first time at 25 years old, and it was such a big deal at the time, so huge. I have 25-year-olds today that are starting at 100000 a year. The number doesn't mean what it used to mean, okay? Too many people put too much emphasis on the wrong things. You should be measuring your life, not by how much money you make, but by the kind of quality of lifestyle that you have, and then making sure that your work supports it. I don't work, I work to live, not live to work. And as much as I love what I do, and I love it, and I never turn it off, because as a principal, you never can. There's no, even when I was on the damn boat, I'm getting texts and emails and I'm doing shit because I don't know how not to. But the reality is, is that this industry must learn how to turn it off and take private time or you're going to run yourself into the ground. You know, maybe it's too many Blantons over the course of the years, but my memory isn't nearly what it used to be, David. I used to know policy numbers and, and I would know things that are stupid that I would know them and I knew them. Today, I don't know a third of what I feel like I should know. But I went to the doctor and I said, what's wrong with me? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, I can't even remember phone numbers. He says, show me how you dial a phone. And I don't dial a phone anymore. I hit a button. How the hell is my brain going to remember a number when it never even has to look at the number? It just looks at a name and you hit a button and there it goes. I suddenly realized that I wasn't exercising things in the way that I used to because technology had come in and made that part of my life easier. But the one thing that you have to be worried about with technology is it can, in the effort to make it easier, it can also make you absolutely valueless if you don't evolve yourself to utilizing the technology, not the technology utilizing you. So all you young producers that are out there and you want to go and get the car you want, let me tell you something. Go buy the damn car. Even if you can't afford it right now, because you oh, I, listen, I encourage all my producers buy a Porsche their first day. Now I know they're going to produce. That's right. Because when that bill comes, you're going to figure out a way to pay for it. And that's exactly what I did. I was a homeowner at 26 years old. And that was the difference. I went and did. And that everything. meant, by the way, that meant something back then. When you were 26, if you owned a home, there was meaning to that. Yeah. Yep. God, I wish I owned that home today. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, I've traded up quite a bit, but the reality is, is I'd love to own each one of the homes I've always owned. I wish that I could have, you know, instead of trading in, I could have just kept. Now I can, but then I couldn't. And, you know, if you're looking at this career for the first time, or if you're considering a change into this industry, or if you're in this industry and wondering why you're not making enough money, it's your attitude. 
It's your education. It's your work ethic. Or it's the way you do or don't differentiate yourself. And that was my only point, Andy, is that I really believe that the way you differentiate agencies is not by calling them sales or service, but by defining what differentiates you from everybody else. And that was the point I was trying to make. I'm not sure I did. I think that the truth is, is that just like David said, we actually agree 97%, okay? And the reality is, is that you've got three successful people on this call right now, and they all found that yeah. success a different way. The first time I reached out to Dave Carruthers, I didn't know him. I was referred to him. I called him and he, he said, he, he, he sent me a link and said, pick a time. I did. And he was on the phone when I called. By the way, that's the first time I ever saw that technology. Okay. I still haven't employed it, Dave, but I'm close. I have Calendarly. I just haven't executed it yet. But the reality is, is that what David told me was very simple. He said, Jerry, I had to figure out a way to do what I'm doing without money. And you, because you have it, you solve problems with money. And that is very true. And when I was young, I didn't have money. So I had to solve it through, in, through my intuition, through my investment of time and energy. And if I was to do that today, would it change my lifestyle? Yes, it would. Would it be to the betterment? Maybe, okay? It would certainly give me some things to be excited about because I'm not always excited to walk in the door each day. But the reality is, is that I've gotten comfortable and that comfort comes with time and it comes with experience and it comes with, you know, putting people and processes in place. But the number one frustration I have is probably the same frustration each of you have. The people is the process and finding the right people and empowering them in the right way is a full time job. I'm a leader. I'm not a manager. When I realized that finally about eight years ago, I evolved to where I am today, and I owe a lot of my growth to having a manager who helps hold the reins. I own the bus, he drives it. That's the way I see one, it. Guys, one. And so I want to encourage everybody to start figuring out what they love and do all of that and then figure out how to develop people and processes to do all the things you don't like to do. One way to round this out might just be that um, neither approach – Going back to the original post, uh, neither approach is wrong, right? It's just they entail different mentalities, which require different operations, systems, processes, and staff. So if you are set up yep. this way, then that's the way you're going to lead your organization. If you're set up that way, that's the way it's going to go. And so that's kind of the, the roundabout way to point this out. You know, it's just that mentality sets you up a certain way and that's the, the path you're going to take. And my path was just this certain way. So I was just hoping to point it out. Well, remember, you came in with an already going enterprise that already had appointments and relationships and business and it already had a process and you got to come in and perfect it to add value in a way that your father never was going to do it because he wasn't taught the new way. He wasn't taught new styles. You and your brother brought new things, new fresh breaths of air to an old process. Well, how do I do that when I don't have kids? I do it through the producers I hire and the promise to sell the agencies to those that are yeah. capable of running it. And so I will start to, to give up equity position and e evolve my producers into partners when they can start to step up and run portions of the agency besides cool. selling a policy because 
They are producers and they don't think like principals yet. They don't have that mentality because they don't have to worry about the bottom line. They just have to worry about making a sale. Well, as you and I know, there's a lot to running a business that goes beyond that. You want a good book? There's one that's 20 years old. I think I heard somebody mention it before. Michael Gerber, Emeth, read it. It's a short read, three hours maximum, three hours to the slowest reader. But you're going to come away with ideas that are timeless. And it's going to help you understand that there are three hats that have to be worn by an owner, by the entrepreneur. And that's the manager, that's the entrepreneur, and it's the technician. Most people in our business today are not technical enough. They rely on other systems, processes. They're not technical enough. And the other thing they aren't is they aren't managerial enough. They're not holding themselves accountable to a certain EBITDA, to a certain profit margin, um, to a certain profitability with carriers, with premium you collect versus claims paid, and the, and the quality of the business that you're writing. But when you wear those three hats evenly, you will have found the way to be a true entrepreneur. And with that, sky's the limit. And it doesn't matter what the product is. Here's the thing, man. And we're going to wrap up with this unless Andy has any parting comments he wants to make. Um, I want to be respectful of everybody's time. One of the reasons why I ask you who taught you how to run an agency is because that is a huge gap that we have. If you think about it, who are the people that end up running agencies? If it's not the, the firstborn child of the agency principal who's following in mom or dad's footsteps, then it, you know, maybe you've got a perpetuation plan for a producer to come in and do it. But that hinges on one thing. Guys like Jerry sharing their information, sharing what they've learned, showing, sharing the, the, the footsteps that they've walked into. I made the comment before about people our age, you know, the younger generation trying to achieve what the parents took, took their parents 50 years, they want to do in 25. The problem that we have is a lack of collaboration in general, okay? You could have the Jerry's of the world that are sitting as the owners of their operation with all kinds of knowledge stored in their heads, but they don't want to share. And you heard it from him himself. It wasn't until the last couple of years that he's like, look, I'm a little silver in the hair. I've got to share and collaborate in order to be able to pass this information on. That's what's going to make the industry a better place, right? But most of the time, who do you have running an agency? A producer that got pissed off where they were. All they know how to do is sell. They don't know how to run a business. They don't even know how to read the financial statement. They think you have to have a financial statement in order to get a, a quote for professional liability or management liability because the underwriter asked for it. But they don't even know the difference between you know having wealth on an income statement and having wealth on a balance sheet. We need that. Miles Merwin is doing his best to combat that with his producers to principals program, but I love Miles to death. He needs a lot of help. He needs people in other parts of the country to do that because you can't just do it in Greenville, South Carolina. And I think that that's going to be the next shift that our industry needs to see is the opening of minds of agency principals and understanding you're going to have to share this stuff with the people that are coming behind you. You can't just expect to walk out the door one day, leave the keys to the kingdom and hope for the best. You're setting your team up for failure because there are things that are valuable that Jerry knows. Look, the guy's running a great business if he can take four weeks of vacation, have four-day work weeks, drive nice cars. Like I said, that's all fine and good. But if the guy that's driving Jerry's bus now wants to own the bus at some point, Jerry's got to teach him how to do more than drive. Yep. And, and, it's kind and, of a learned experience too, but, um, you know, because as is. you- I mean, look, I have, I have it going. I, ha I have a leg up because- I've had total P&L responsibility in some way, shape, or form since I was 21 years old. 
Yeah. So I, I, I can run a business by report with no problem at all. If you give me the, 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 the income statement, the balance sheet, you want me to write the budget and manage to the budget, I can do that. Do I like to? No, I hate it. I like to sell. Even when I had my grocery stores, I ran the number one profit store in the entire company. Okay. But I didn't care. I wanted to see what my week over week, year over year sales increases were. That's always been what's driven me. So yes, it's really important for me to have profitable business, but that's the end result. I still like the front end of the deal and I like to go out and generate new opportunities. So well, let me say this, David. Um, I, you're, I you're closing this out, Jerry. You're closing this out. I'm going to close out. you guys out, all right? Since I know who listens to your, to your podcast, I want to share this. There's a lot of shiny objects out there. There's a lot of people out there purporting to be experts and who are a lot of sizzle, but not a whole lot of steak. I, I think that there needs to be balance. You look at somebody like David and he brings proven processes and then shares his process with you. But there's others that are out there that are creating podcasts and doing all these other things. But what are they really doing? They're really just self-promoting. And I think that you need to figure out where true wisdom is at and go get some of it. Okay. Got, start asking the right people the right questions. In the, in the end, you need to have steak. Sizzle doesn't matter if you're hungry. It smells good as it goes by. Okay. But what did that do for your hunger? It didn't do a damn thing. You got to learn how to build a successful business and sell it. Um, and that's what it's about. And you know what? I, I agree with you 100%, David. Um, that this industry is unique and that people are willing to come and share. I'm willing to come and share. I just need to find the, the right platforms to do it. You've been encouraging me to do stuff and I, I, I still resist it because in the end, I have too many responsibilities here. But I will do this. I'll share with anyone that shows me effort and energy. I'm just not going to waste my time because I don't have enough of it. I've told you how limited it is, but I will do it with anybody out there that's frustrated with something. And I am sure that you do the same thing, Andy. And that's why I love your, your little podcast too. And, and I, and yes, in the last four months, I've learned how to find podcasts and listen to them. <laughs> that's the world I'm in. And that's okay. There always needs to be somebody that's in sunset as somebody is at sunrise. It's an important part of the world and the process. I'm here to share and I want everybody to be successful, but I also know that everybody won't be. And if you want to truly be successful, you have to figure out how to differentiate. That's what David did. That's what Andy did. That's what I do. And if there's anything you take away from this, don't be like the other guy. Be you. All right. I lied. Andy, you're closing this out. This is your shameless plug for Glovebox. Tell them what's up because this is virgin territory for you guys. It's been a couple years since I had Ryan and Sean on. And we yeah. don't have just proper, you know, just just commercial people. There's a lot of multi-lines agencies listening. Tell them how you guys can help them out. Yeah, guys, we've started a new category the past three years called client experience. And so client experience has been ignored for the past many decades. Like we write the business, we hopefully retain them, but we don't tell the client how to interact with us, the agency. Um, I'm speaking as if I am one, but I'm not. Uh, Glovebox is a uh, management tool for uh, deck pages, ID cards, paying bills, starting claims, requesting service, giving your clients a place to go to engage with you, the agency. Otherwise, they're lost and they're going to the carrier apps, which you don't want to do because then you, the agency, is becoming a ghost in the process. 
uh, get an agency branded mobile app and a client portal that's specific to your agency, allowing your clients to get to you. And honestly, it's a personalized product today. We're coming out with commercial in two months. Why don't you, why don't you send me over a, 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 a beta on that and let me test it for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we already have like a 350 agency wait list on the commercial side. So, um, you know, it's going to be pretty cool. Yep. There you have it. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next time. Andy, Jerry, glad you guys were able to come on and share. Great episode. Love talking shop always. Y'all have a great week. We'll catch you guys later. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. Killing Commercial.